work. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. It's true. It is. Yeah. That's my name. So. So. Oh, wait. Funny thing about my name. Let's hear it. So in my uh, my Hebrew class yesterday, mm-hmm. um, when I had my name on the screen because I attended virtually, it was Marshall M. Mm-hmm. And the Dr. V, who makes a regular appearance on this podcast now, even though he has no idea we exist probably. But anyways, but Dr. V drops a, a Marshall Mathers reference. Nice. And a couple of the people in the class kind of chuckle. And then he points to one of the younger guys who was born in like 2002, which is slightly depressing that I, I'm in classes with kids in 2002. But still fantastic that a 12-year-old <laughs> would be working on his master's degree. So go ahead. <laughs> He's 21. Um, but anyways... Um, yeah, but, but this kid had no idea who Marshall Mathers was, and we all had a good laugh, and he had to explain that it was Eminem. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, sorry. I like it. That's my name. I like it. Uh, we're doing, we're pivoting into a new section. Mm-hmm. So part of this apologetics year we're, we're coming to realize is going to come in, in lumps. Yeah. And we're going to do a bit of a historical lump. Mm-hmm. It's lump. It's lump. sorry. I don't know why that came into my yeah. Head. Is that the president's the United States of America? That is, yeah. Uh, so we did. We did talk about the historicity of the Bible. We did when we were doing the Bible lump. Yes. And so now it was a good lump, by the way. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, now we're going to just talk about the historicity of a number of things that we defend mm-hmm. and and believe inside of our faith. Right, uh, this is a lot of a lot more general revelation stuff. In some ways, it's going yeah. to kind of blend the two. Yeah, yeah. But but even in blending the two, it's worth noting that we can talk about scripture, the Word of God, in a less than uh, miraculous revelation kind of a way. Sure. Right? To look at it as words on a paper and the value that it has even as that. Right. Yeah. And so so I just want to make that clear from the beginning because I believe the Bible to be the revealed word of God. Mm-hmm. And I place my entire faith and form myself around what's written on those pages. Mm-hmm. Yet, we're going to talk a lot in this historicity episode about things on the page, the books themselves, mm-hmm. as documents. That doesn't mean that we just sort of cold approach this. Mm-hmm. I Anyone who wants to argue that it went too far that that direction, I would throw you back to the last two episodes, mm-hmm. Right. Is faith a portion of this? Can you just reason your way to truth? Mm-hmm. We said no, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is the Bible the inspired Word of God? We said yes, mm-hmm. right? So two entire episodes on that. If we use what might seem like too business of a language in this, mm-hmm. just keep in mind that's not where we stand. Yeah. But when we're going to sit at the table with historians, 
and skeptics, mm-hmm. we need to speak that language. Yeah. And yeah. and to show that the Bible doesn't fail to produce truth in that language as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think yeah, to kind of summarize it like at least the way I've been thinking about it is, you know, we we've articulated that we believe that the Bible is more than just a historical document, mm-hmm. but it's not less than that. Nope. Right? In the things that it describes uh, about history. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the historicity of Jesus himself. Yes, the person. The person, Jesus. That's right. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? Well, because if there's no Jesus, then there's no gospel, right? So Mm -hmm. I think, so here's the thing. Here's the thing about Christianity. Contrary to some other religions, Christianity has a, a certain degree of um, historical vulnerability. Yep. Right? Because our faith isn't just based on like principles or ideas or morals. Christianity actually has historical claims and those historical claims actually find themselves at the center of what we believe. Absolutely. So historical claims that if proven to be untrue would destroy our entire system of belief. Right. Right. And so while, you know, while confirming historical claims of the Old Testament are important, and we might dive into some of those, the most significant historical claims of Scripture, at least I I think, center on the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So the historical claims like, you know, this person, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who was known as this great teacher and healer, Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who opposed the religious leaders in Jerusalem, who was sentenced to death by crucifixion by Pontius Pilate, and who ultimately rose from the grave. Like those are, these are historical claims that there was this person, this is who he was, this is what he did, this is what happened. Um, you yeah. know, those are, those are central things that we hold to, that we need to hold to. And, and one might argue that other religions always have a history in their narratives. A creation narrative is a historical record mm. kind of a thing. But there's no place it, for, for many religions... There's not there's not a need to say that happened, but when, right? right? Like the Greeks can be like, oh, this came about because this god did this, and this mm-hmm. god got in a war with this god. No one ever says what year was that, right? Right, and for the Greeks to be able like, oh, I actually have an answer for that. Sure, right? It's not it's not tied to historical record, even if it's used in some sort of historical narrative. Right, right. Whereas Christianity has. And, and Judaism before it sure. always makes this statement to place itself in history. Mm-hmm. So even though we're going to talk about the historicity of Jesus today, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time pushing on just what is historical study, mm-hmm. how does it take place, and where does Jesus fit into that? Because we're, we're going to do other episodes about some of the things that happen with Jesus uh, and putting them in history. Sure. So that we're going to fill a little bit of time doing that. One of the things that I, I just want to put out there is there are a number of people who would teach that you don't need to believe in this, the historical Jesus and the theo- theological Jesus as being the same. Mm. You can see them as separate. Right. Right? So, for instance, you can believe that there was a Jewish man who lived in Palestine, who went by the name of Jesus. You don't have to believe that he walked on water Mm. or multiplied loaves and fishes or rose from the dead. 
right? He had some great ideas that laid the way. And the theological Jesus can be true and followed and worshipped without the historical Jesus being true, Mm. right? This is predominantly the view of liberal theology. Yeah. Right? Uh, One, I think it's a wrong view. Yeah. it's It's a wrong view in that if a faith makes historical claims and it can't even back up historical claims, mm. and you don't feel like there's evidence to prove a historical claim, why would you believe that there's evidence to prove a theological claim? I, I would even say that the Bible would support this notion. When Jesus is talking to a teacher of the law, and he says, I've explained to you earthly things and you can't understand them, why would you... Mm-hmm assumed to believe spiritual things. Right. In the same way. If, if There's a logical order right. there, right? If we can't define well earthly things, then we shouldn't expect people to follow the spiritual things. So I, I think it's wrong for that reason. Um, also, some of the defenses for this, I, I was watching Dale Martin, who's a professor at Yale. Okay. Uh, an Anglican would call himself a believer, but he holds to this. Right, yeah. uh, Bart Ehrman right. was a believer, not a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, he even goes so far as to say Bart Ehrman and I are in lockstep on this, right? <laughs> Which is bizarre uh, to me. W- one of the things that he says is George Washington. There is a historical George Washington, the George Washington who existed as a person. Okay, and then there's this George Washington who has risen to fable, right? And both are meaningful, right? The historical George Washington did things for the United States. Do you need me to explain George Washington? No, I think 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 our listeners know who he is. (laughs) Just wanted to be sure. I don't want to talk over your head. (laughs) (laughs) So so the historical George Washington does things Mm. to help the United States become the United States. Right. Yet, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from the mythical George Washington. (laughs) All right. And we know the two exist because, for example, the chopping down of the cherry tree story. Yeah. Right? Probably didn't happen. And he tells his dad, I can't, it's impossible for me to lie, I'm the one that did it. Right? The, The notion being that we need our political leaders to be without fault in order for us to be able to celebrate them. <laughs> Has not proven to be true. Uh, but, uh, but that's the sort of motif that surrounds George Washington, and that both of these, although they are not equally, they're not cohesive, mm. they're both valuable. And he says, we, we know this because we've actually found the preacher and the sermon and documentation where he says, no, I injected that story, imposed it upon George Washington, fabricated it to make a point in a sermon. Okay. Right? Interesting. And that's his, that's his way of saying, like, you can see where these two George Washingtons both exist for a purpose and are useful. Mm. The problem is, of those people who wrote about Jesus... No one is saying 
we fabricated this <laughs> in order to prove this point. <laughs> right? There's a very right. there's a very real disconnect between these two measurements. Right. It's a false equivalency, really. It, it really, really is. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is that modern historians have come to value skepticism, mm-hmm. and they've come to apply modern tools that we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a, a hotly debated topic that hasn't been hotly debated until <laughs> the modern era. Right, right. Yeah, and so the thing is, when we talk about the, the historical person of Jesus, some of the most outspoken and angry opponents of Christianity, like guys like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, have argued that the existence of Jesus is, you know, highly questionable, unlikely, just made up fantasy, right? And you might, you might even like in conversation hear people say, just like with confidence, there's no historical evidence of Jesus, or that he's just as an entirely made up fictional character. But in reality, amongst the vast majority, like the overwhelming almost as an exclusive rule, serious historians, regardless of what their faith is, they don't say things like that. No. They don't, right? And the reason is because since the Enlightenment and since people started kind of valuing, you know, elevating human reason over over all other things, um, there's emerged an entire historical focus on finding the historical Jesus, right? We have Jesus, we have Jesus in the scripture, which I would say scripture is, is historical, but for, for the moment, let's set that aside, mm-hmm. right? There's a group of people saying, okay, this Jesus guy seemed to have made an impact. Was he real? Did he live? Is it all true, right? Does it match? Does, does what we see in about him in the gospels match what was actually going on in the world at that time based right. on other evidence that we have? And, and this discipline doesn't just include Christians, right? It's not like there's a there's like a handful of, you know, really historically minded Christians who just do this all on their own. Like there's Jewish people who do this, atheists and agnostics who do this as well. You know, so if it was just this handful of hardcore believers that were publishing whatever they want about the historical Jesus, regardless of how good their research is or what methods they use, that the the non-believing colleagues would just quickly shut it down. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is like peer-reviewed stuff, and some of those peers do n- are not Christians. Right, and these are people who are confirming some of the things we're going to talk about later in this episode. Yep. Um, and and the surprising reality is that over over time, the overall view within the historical community is not getting more skeptical of a historical Jesus. It's getting less skeptical. Mm-hmm. Right, they're be- becoming more and more convinced of the historicity of Jesus from a secular historical perspective. So that's just something that I think people just need to know is a thing that exists, right? And a lot of times, um, you know, there's there's yeah, there's a bit of a gap between what is going on, you know, at the cutting edge of of archaeology and 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 uh, research and what people on the street know. And the reality is that that gap actually right now is a gap between people on the street thinking there's really nothing there versus people in the academy, secular people in the academy saying, no, no, there definitely is. Yeah, I would say, I would say just as an interesting side note, uh, 
evolution is also one of the biological evolution is also one of those things that's becoming less and less accepted. Yeah. Um, At least as but, it's commonly understood or has been commonly yep, understood, yep. right? Darwinian evolution. So yep. I guess I should say. Yeah. Now, not being said, the reality is that there, there are just, there are people out there who are going to just simply refuse to entertain the possibility that Jesus of Nazareth existed, mm-hmm. regardless of how much historical evidence you put in front of them. Right. I think we just need to keep that in mind because because the stakes are so high with Jesus. Because of who he is, what he said, what he did, what what people like there are some people that they just they just won't. They just can't. Not the historians, because they're they're actually taking they're just taking kind of a or at least trying to take an objective view. But there are just people people in your life that even if you lay out all of you get that you get your non-believing friend to listen to this entire episode and we lay all this out. They can listen to the whole thing and just be like, nope, don't believe it. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and part of that's gonna come down to just what ruler they're using to measure with. Like sure. we, we've got we've got that coming later in the episode, so I'm not gonna get into it too far. Uh but at, at some point you have to make decisions on how you're gonna measure these things. Mm-hmm. And and I and I would say their greatest push is for objective measurements Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's also their downfall is they're not being objective right 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 yeah yeah so i um one of the sources that i want to use i'm going to use today is a book that i essentially read cover to cover last night um skim read a couple chapters but the book is called is jesus history by john dixon um published by the good book company I'll be straight with you. There's a couple things he says in here that I'm like, I don't love where he goes with a couple things, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of really, really good stuff. It's a very quick read. It's like 120 pages or something like that. Um, So the author, John Dixon, he talks about this. I I love this. this, Hopefully this can kind of like start our conversation towards what history is a little bit. But John Dixon talks about this Roman coin that he wears around his neck. And what it is, it's a Roman silver denarius with the face of the emperor Tiberius on it. Mm-hmm. It is the, not the exact, the literally, like the literal exact same coin that Jesus points to, but this, the exact same denomination. Right. And at the same, from the same time period, the same, the same face on it that Jesus points to when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar mm-hmm. and, and give to God what is God's. And, you know, and he kind of talks a little bit about the story of this coin, right? He, like, he doesn't know, but, you know, he kind of like, he realizes that this coin has existed throughout 2000 years of history. Right. He thinks about the, maybe the, the, you know, the, the slave working in the mines to get that silver out or, you know, the gladiator who was showered with it in the arena or the thief who stole it off someone's belt or, you know, whoever ultimately lost it in the dirt Mm -hmm. 2000 years ago. Right. And, and what he does is say that is like, he, he wears it to remind himself that like history is real. Absolutely. It's not Middle Earth. It's not the galactic empire of Star Wars. It's history. History is real. Right. And and that's one of the places where I would say that uh, Dr. Martin, in, because the, the, yeah, I'll just speak to this. Yeah. The Dr. Ahead. Martin really fails mm. is, is his point is to say too many people want history to be now, but history is lost. Mm. And, and, what what happened and what is history are separate history is a record but a filtered record 
Um, we can never know for sure, mm. right? And so, in some ways, he applies some really strict standards to what's acceptable and not acceptable. And then in some ways, he just wants to blow the whole thing up in this sort of like relativism of, right. but you can never really know. Yeah. Which to me says, then taking on your life's journey to, to the discipline of history, what a waste of time. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm going to be a baker, but I'm not ever going to really make any bread. Right. Right? I, I really enjoy... Reading about people who make bread, right. I enjoy shopping for pans and ovens and those kinds of things, but I just any fruit that comes from that is just sort of like ambiguous and whatever right <laughs> it it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem passionate yeah i had a when I went to the University of Ottawa, fresh out of high school, had a philosophy teacher who was like a nihilist. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what's what's the point, man? Why are you yeah. here? I just don't like. What what are you what are you here for? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and, and we've <laughs> talked about it before, right? Like, history was my first discipline of education, right? Mm. My bachelor's degree is in history. Yeah. And and the whole notion that historians have to be skeptics, I'm not down with, mm-hmm. uh, because I think what you're doing is you're gathering evidence. And putting it together to recreate a story. Right. I don't think you have to go around questioning everything that you you find, right? Sure. Like, you find uh, some remnant of, of a civil war in, you know, the southern United States, mm-hmm. of a civil war battle. You don't have to start with, well, was there really a civil war? <laughs> right? You can you can start in other places right. of gathering this together. It doesn't right. have to be skepticism. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. And I think, yeah, and like it goes back to like the fact that like, okay, this guy, John Dixon, is wearing this coin. Like, so like history is real because it's hanging around his neck. Yeah. Right? The Roman Empire minted coins out of silver. And at the time, the Emperor Tiberius like was on the throne because his face and his name are on these coins, mm-hmm. like that were found thousands of miles from Rome, right? So it's like it's it, you know, hist went like as it happened, it was just as real as now. Right. That's what people need to remember. Like, like I think, and it's difficult, right? Because there is a sense in which, like, to our finite human minds now is the only real time you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's kind of in our in our limited way of understanding things but like those people were just as real those events were just as real as things going on now and some people might be like nodding their heads like yeah of course dude i know what you're talking about but some people really struggle with that concept because it's so distant remote and divorced from our experience that it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around but yeah we we oftentimes can get caught living in a in such a way is that everyone else who lives is an extra in a movie about me. Oh, dude. And everything that went before me is just backstory. <laughs> right? It's like a really long prologue. Right. <laughs> Human so, history is just a really long prologue. And so, and so in a very in a very C.S. Lewis kind of way, mm. uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe exists without the magician's nephew. But the magician's nephew is just helpful to make more sense out of the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so what went before me is irrelevant to me where I am, less real, mm. uh, and not necessary. And, <laughs> but if you, if you study history in this like 
only skeptical manner. Mm. Like even the coin around his neck. Yeah. Well, how do you know that it's not a forgery? Right. Sure. How do you know that it wasn't, you know, put together in this name used and like <laughs> there's so many opportunities to just ask questions right, and create doubt. Right. That do, that's not academia. That doesn't lead you to a better truth. Mm-hmm. It just throws smoke around everything that can be learned. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's 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 not that's not to say that we just accept everything as it is. No, of course not. It's just to say forgeries will show themselves, and at that yeah. point, you become skeptical. There's a difference between like critical thinking and just muddying the waters till yeah, well everything said. is indistinguishable, right? Mm-hmm. So, the reality though about history and like what we have from history, as far as historical evidence and documents and all that, is kind of the the thing that people talk about the the one percent of archaeology. Mm-hmm. Which the idea of that is, and it's not, this is not a specific mathematical equation, people, but the idea is that we have, you know, maybe we have 1% of the things that existed, you know, in ancient times, right? 1% has survived the elements and, and destruction and everything else for us to get a picture. Now, here's a couple things about that 1% figure that we need to keep in mind. First off, we live in the city of Stratford, not a big place, 30 some odd thousand people. But like if Stratford was raised to the ground, but you had like 1%, like 1% of the, the, the books and 1% of the houses, 1% of the cars or mm-hmm. 1% left over, you would still get a pretty decent picture of what Stratford was like, sure. right? Like, so, so again, you, and the other thing to keep in mind though about this 1% is that it's not Equal, necessarily equally dispersed, right? Mm-hmm. So, so John Dixon in his book he talks about how there was this famous at the time of Jesus there was a famous rabbi, probably the most famous in in Judea by the name of Hillel, and we have nothing, not nothing directly written by Hillel left, no copies of anything. Yep. We just hear him referenced about other things, but we have a whole lot of evidence about a guy who was you know an up and comer but not the number one guy yet. And his name was Paul. Yep. And we have like 30,000 words of his correspondence that's right. been preserved. Right. And we've already talked about the quality of those and, and, and everything else. So the, the, the thing too is to remember like what is preserved and what isn't, what's lost. All of that, and I'm not trying to muddy the waters here myself after just kind of disparaging it, but just to understand that like 1% is a lot. And when we have a lot of one particular thing, it's, it's significant. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that matters because what what happens when people want to use history to draw questions? I, I wouldn't say disprove. No one, mm. no one of their academic salt would argue that you can disprove the existence of a historical figure. Right. Right. That's just philosophically that's difficult. Doesn't work. Right. <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> um, but anyone who wants to draw enough question. Mm-hmm. around it to make it something less than probable. Mm-hmm. A lot of what they're going to do is they're going to apply to it a standard that we don't use for anything else, mm-hmm. right? So Hillel is a great example. Do we deny the historicity of Hillel? Well, there's nothing written necessarily so much by him. There are things written about him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's acceptable, yeah. Right? Socrates. Yeah. We don't even have anything written 
by him. Yeah. None of his, but we'll still say like, these are the teachings of Socrates. Right. Why? Because hundreds of years later, we end up with copies of some of his students, Plato, for example, mm-hmm. talking about things that he might've said. And we're like, that's good enough. Yeah. That's good enough for me. Yeah. And then, and then you get to Jesus and it's like, uh, there are no contemporary writings. The earliest writings came decades afterward. Right. You're like, that's pretty contemporary. That's pretty close. <laughs> right? And yeah. Yeah. and even to say, like, that it was written 50 years afterward. Mm-hmm. So what if the guy was there and it just, that's yeah. how long it took him to write, to yeah. get around to writing it, because he had other things going on, right? Like yeah. he's preaching or traveling or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there's a different level of standard. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about this during the Historicity of the Bible episode, like how the document of the Bible gets measured in, with this criticism mm-hmm. that doesn't apply to other ancient texts. Right. Yet the Bible still comes through in flying colors. Oh, yeah. Right? The same thing happens with the person of Jesus. Oh, yeah, for sure. And what's what's interesting is that, so the, the kind of the, the elite premier historical documents that have been published about the period in history in which Jesus lived recognize the historicity of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? These are secular published materials, right? So the Oxford Classical Dictionary, which is essentially, it's not really a dictionary so much as an encyclopedia of the Greco-Roman world. And it has like a few pages in its in its volume about the historical Jesus mm-hmm. and just accepts a whole lot of facts. Now, they don't say explicitly that he rose from the dead, right. but they say that his believer or his followers were convinced that he did. Mm-hmm. Right uh, or the Cambridge uh, Cambridge Ancient History does says the same thing. There's something really cool that I found. It's called the Corpus Inscriptionum Judea, and what it is is it's a collection of all the known inscriptions that were used in Judea from the time of Alexander the Great till the Muslim conquest. Okay, so all the inscriptions that were made in Greek and Latin in the region. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not saying that they have the literal board that was posted to the sure. top of the cross, but in their list of these are the these are the list of the inscriptions that existed in that land at the time, they include the entry on the placard on that was put on top of the cross in three languages, right? Yeah. Jesus, King of the Jews or whatever, right? Like they they have that, right? And so it just puts it out there as a genuine thing as described. Mm-hmm. Right, so th- th- for them, the the account in the biblical text, again, these are these are entirely secular organizations putting these things together, yep. and so they all essentially claim that Jesus Nazareth Nazareth existed. He taught. He was reportedly a healer. They don't necessarily say he definitely healed people, but people believe that he was a healer, right? And that he was executed by crucifixion. All of those by Pontius Pilate. By Pontius Pilate, yeah, yep. specifically, yeah, yeah. Now. That hasn't always been the case. People haven't always thought that or claimed that. Like there's been, there's been, okay, there was no question about Jesus' historical existence for, I don't know, like 16, 1700 years, like mm-hmm. 1800 years. Like it was just not a debate. And and so it, in the 17th century, people started asking the question, mm. which is also the same time when Rene Descartes has to say, no, I exist. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I think, therefore, I am the father of modern philosophy. Is like, <laughs> pinch yourself, dude. You're not dreaming, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not insignificant mm-hmm. that those 
two things are contemporaneous. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Because everyone was questioning everything at that point, right? Right. And I mean, they still kind of are to some degree, but... Um, now, some of the early scholarship about the, the people who were searching for the historical Jesus that was coming out of this enlightenment, many of the people writing about this and studying this were liberal Germans, because of course they were. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what they kind of did in this early search for the historical Jesus was they kind of created a Jesus in their own image by emphasizing certain details and excluding others. Right. So, and this was because what they were doing was they were trying to connect Jesus into movements and ideologies that were prominent in that era of history in Mm -hmm. Europe. So there was the anti-theology Jesus, who was calling out the, you know, outdated religiosity of the Jewish leaders. Or there was the Jewish freedom fighting Jesus, right? Who was like literally just like a nationalistic hero when nationalism was just sweeping over over Europe, right? Or the philosopher Jesus, who was more concerned with concepts than anything concrete like people. Mm -hmm. Right, and so they, they cl- like actually feeding them lunch. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Just the, the idea, the concept of being willing yeah. to do that. Jesus stood on the hill <laughs> in front of the five thousand and said, "We, we could give these men fish, or we could teach them to fish." <laughs> and since we're only interested in the concept and not in the practicalities. I mean, we're making fun to a degree, but we're not really stretching things all that much. Like no, this, this because, is what was going on. Because this, because what happens, and, and it's not stopped happening. Oh no, right? it's still like, happening. Uh, David Platt's uh, book Radical, mm-hmm. like the subtitle is about creating God in our own image. Sure. Right. That we take this Western North American concept of God mm-hmm. uh, or, or of Jesus for Him to meet us in our material need at this point in time, and instead of being molded into his image, right? right so it, right. It, it's a thing that continues even to today. Uh, but what happens is, is people want to do a couple of things. One, they want they want to make Jesus monochromatic. Right. Right? He can only be one thing. Yeah. Right? Whereas, you know, a person can be a scholar and a sports fan, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have to divide between the two. Sure. And you'd be like, well, he's a sports guy. He's not a book guy. Well, why not? (laughs) Why not? Right? Uh, And and, and so they want to make him monochromatic. Mm -hmm. And they want to... It it just feels like they don't want to read the whole thing. Yeah. Right? They they just want to... They only want to read so much of it. Mm -hmm. And then proof text. Well, this is what he... This is who he was because he did this thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Instead of taking the whole and saying, what is he showing us, right? Instead, yeah. It's starting with the conclusion and then cherry-picking the evidence to, f- to fit yeah. your conclusion, right? It's, it's searching for the questions to match your answer. Yeah, and, and again, we, can, we do this all the time, and you hear this in the way that people talk about Jesus, even within the church at times, and even like with Christian organizations that do things. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we're going to emphasize certain aspects of who Jesus is. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna focus on certain specific things that he, he said and did at the exclusion of others because we're painting a picture of Jesus as whatever we want him to be, mm-hmm. right? To, I mean, for, for whatever reasons, either to advance a, 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 a particular theology or to sell a product or whatever, right? Yep. So 
yeah, it's it's we're critical of them, but we got to be careful for ourselves. But nowadays, at least within the historians who are searching for the historical Jesus, there is at least a bit more of an honest approach towards Jesus, like at least like relative to what was happening at the time. So they're and they're looking at the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus as described by scripture against the backdrop of what we know about first century Judea under Roman Mm -hmm. rule, which I think is probably a good thing to do. Yeah. And, and here's where, like when we say they're searching for him in that they're applying tools of history. Yes. The difference comes with the, the consistency with which they apply these tools, right, and the value of the tools, uh, in in their own place, right, right? in their own place and time, right, and, and in reading. So you mentioned the major reference for you for this. For for me, it's the lecture by Dale Martin, mm. a, another uh, lecture that I didn't write the guy's name down, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> and then Bart Ertman's. Did Jesus exist? Mm. Right. I've got a copy on my heresy shelf. Mm. Uh, so those are those are the three references that I'm working from, and I, I made five observations about historical tools mm. that they're using and how they're using them, whether or not they should be using them, those kinds of things. Right. Mm. Because because one of the problems we can run into with applying modern historical tools is we're in doing that we're applying modern values yes onto historical figures mm-hmm. right uh this happens all the time it is one of donald carson's exegetical fallacies mm-hmm. uh you cannot apply modern values right on ancient peoples right right what? you're saying jesus wasn't a feminist because he treated women with dignity it's like no feminism didn't exist <laughs> like it wasn't a thing right right or did social he, he was a socialist he, no socialism did he didn't exist women better than the average man of his time yes yes <laughs> definitely right. uh so so one of them that they're put that they really press for mm. dual attestation okay yeah that is to say there needs to be multiple accounts Mm. of an event in order for that event to be cooperated. Right. Lest right. this one person could have independently made this thing up. Right. Right? Most of what we have in history is found in the giant sandbox, and dual attestation is nearly impossible mm-hmm. when you go back really far. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> This exists for Jesus. It does. It's almost like God thought about this in but, advance. But the rules, the rules, the way that the way that they apply this is to say the synoptic gospels don't count. Mm. The synoptic gospels don't count because we know for a fact that Matthew and Luke just read Mark's gospel and then added some things. Okay. Right? So it's really only one statement. Mm. One, we don't know that. No. That's a theory. It's assumed. Two, even if they did, if they were like, hey, Mark wrote this thing, I was there too, Yeah, I want to see what I have to contribute. Right. Right? And they read it and they're like, yeah, yeah, all of that adds up. I, I do remember that. He's right. That's significant. Yeah. Um, But I think I also have something to add. Right. But I am going to put that in there as I add to it. Right. Right? That doesn't make their attestation less. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it uh, plagiarism, right? Right. It is a second witness that confirms. Right. And so the argument there is they're too similar to be the same account of an event. Therefore, they must be illegitimate <laughs> as sources. That well, just leads you down a road that's like, if they don't agree, mm-hmm. then they're right. Right. Which no one wants to go down. Right. But you know what the funny thing is that those those same like textual critics will do is then they'll look at John, who has his, a different perspective, yep. different layout, different phrasings, because like, he probably wrote it a little bit later, right, in a slightly different context, right? But then they'll 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 try to um try to you know dismiss the gospel of john because it's too different right not that it's not that it's different in, in substance per se it just it has different different it has some unique stories it has different ordering of certain things mm-hmm. but like so then you're like okay well what about the gospel of john and they're like yep. well john's too different to be it's like no you can't play both sides of this but, thing but these that i these that i use for this consider john mm-hmm. useful the Gospel of Thomas is useful because obviously somebody's writing about him. He didn't borrow from Mark, right? Because, but we've already talked about it. Gospel of Thomas isn't even a gospel. No, no, it's not. It's entirely another thing. Yeah. it's found way later. Sure. So they're like Matthew and Luke. Now, Gospel of Thomas rejected from the church from its onset. Yeah. As being an obvious forgery. Yeah. Yeah, we take that. <laughs> uh, and then Q. Oh, the and Q, this, the mythical. This is what you need to know about Q. Yeah. Right? That's one of the things this guy mentioned that I disagree with. So but. they accept Q as a source. But here's what you need to know about Q. The reason it's called Q and doesn't actually have a name is because no one's ever found this thing. It doesn't exist. There is a theory <laughs> that if Matthew and Luke didn't borrow from Mark... Right. That there is probably another gospel out there somewhere mm. that just didn't get preserved. Right. And all of the gospels come from Q, right. which is why there's so much cohesion in the gospels. It can't be that everyone saw the same story and just wrote <laughs> down what they saw. It has to be because this mythical document exists. Well, and so they would rather give credit to a... A theoretical document. With no manuscripts. With no manuscripts available Nothing. to them. Nothing at all. They would rather give <laughs> evidence to Q than Matthew and Luke. Yeah. It's like your bias is showing, guys. Come on. Right. right. And, and so yeah. when, when you're getting into the area of dual attestation, and what you're saying is you need more than one document, mm-hmm. yet the documents you have don't, make, don't count, and we're only going to give credit to documents that... Maybe you don't have. Right. Right. At that point, you've loaded the deck. Mm-hmm. And of, of course, some of your questions are going to, the questions you're going to have to impose on the text are going to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. You've mm-hmm. set them up to fail. Right. Right. Yeah. No, totally. No, I totally agree with that. So, so dual attestation matters. Yep. The next tool that they argued for, dissimilarity. <laughs> Although that does kind of fly in the face right. of dual attestation. <laughs> The story is stated and confirmed, but when there's dissimilarity, mm-hmm. then then they're going to say, okay, it seems like this exists and has been changed at some point. Mm. So, for example, 
that the the gospels give a different account of what was written above Jesus's head mm. says there was probably something there and everyone's taking a stab at what it was mm. right it could be that it was in three different languages mm-hmm. and how you write in different languages just varies right right yeah it could be like one guy's giving us the translation of the Aramaic, one guy's giving us the Greek, yeah. one guy's giving us the Latin. There's, yeah. there's no reason to, to look at that and be like, oh my goodness, this is a problem. In fact, even this guy who's a skeptic lists that as one of the greatest evidences of a historical Jesus. Okay, um, interesting. But because of dissimilarity, uh, it talks about divorce, right? Okay. Like the fact that Paul has a different statement, like Paul looks to um, abandonment, Mm-hmm. as a reason for divorce and remarriage, whereas mm-hmm. Jesus in Matthew and in Luke mm-hmm. uh, says in his mind, mm-hmm. no reason for divorce and remarriage, which is not how most people interpret that passage at all. No. Uh, but he talks about it as infidelity, whereas... So his thing is like that Paul comes along later and tries to change a little bit of the stringency with which Jesus is talking about divorce <laughs> shows that there's a difference between the teachings and the practice of the early church, and, and that needs to be corrected, which means what Jesus said was probably historically accurate mm-hmm. and known well enough that it needs to be adjusted. Okay, right? well, just t- time out, though. Different context. Jesus is, Jesus is speaking in that sermon to Jewish people. Mm-hmm right? Who had the same faith system, who were both Jews mm-hmm. under the law. Then Paul is writing to Christians in Gentile areas where mixed marriages of one believer, one non-believer, and as people are coming to faith. So it's a totally, di- it's it's, a totally different context. It is. The, the context is different. The scenarios are different. Yeah. Um, that's not like, anyways, I just don't want people to think that there's like there's discrepancy not, between what a, the Bible... Right, yeah, I know. Just, right. So there... There's not a dissimilarity mm-hmm. unless you try to read it in. Right. That's all I'm saying, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The dissimilarity of of statement is only there because they're both affirming a similar thought from different angles. Right. Right. right, right. Uh, so dissimilarity was one, although dual attestation was one. Sure, sure. Right? Uh, social coherence, does it seem to fit within the frameworks? of mm-hmm. what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where he would say the stories of Jesus seem to prove that he's operating within a Jewish framework mm-hmm. for the time. Mm-hmm. So they all acknowledge that, and they're like, the the cohesion of Jesus inside of the Jewish framework yeah. and, produce, and, and promoting mm-hmm. the Jewish model, mm-hmm. even if a transition on the Jewish model mm-hmm. seems to prove it. Which is surprising, because if, if the Gospels were fabrications, like, because here's the thing, because the Gospels are written in Greek, Mm-hmm. But the story of Jesus is set in a strictly Jewish context. Mm-hmm. And so, like, again, like, that's, I think that's, that argues for its validity, right? Like, because if these were just, like, things written, I mean, we've already talked about the how early we believe, and how early the Gospels were written, but just to kind of say, like, it, it just, it's compound, it's just compounding evidence on the historicity of Jesus. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's, there's reason to apply the social coherence yeah. to an ancient text. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, things you, you can't apply dual attestation. Mm-hmm. We can't go back and say, well, surely there were enough people writing about this. Mm-hmm. And surely those things have been preserved in vaults. Mm-hmm. And so we should be able to look those up. 
right? Mm-hmm. We should be able to Google it mm-hmm. and find multiple people. No, you, yeah. you can't do that. You can't now say there should have been more people writing about it then. <laughs> uh, right. The next one is also dismissible, non-biased sources. Like if you don't have a non-biased source, the source is invalidated. Yeah. But the, the, the real problem with that is even in a practical way, how many times have you had conversations with people about the reputability of modern media oh, yeah. based on a bias? Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. The war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is there anyone who can report on that in a non-biased way? Right? Yeah. In our current day and time. Yeah. I don't think you can. Yeah, sure. Right? And so so to to throw that on, and, and, and what that ends up doing is anyone who was there, we ask the question then of them, what does this person have to gain? And mm-hmm. if we can imagine any gain on that person, they're not reputable anymore. Right, right. Right? right. Uh, in, in watching these lectures, it was every... I don't... I try not to comment on things because I'm a <laughs> pastor and I don't want to drag... <laughs> myself and the church and all that down. It was all like, on this one, I had to. I said, right. if you want to argue for non-biased sources, then those sources you're dismissing, you need to be able to identify right. their gain. Right. Right? What is their intention for gain? Right. We're not going to get into that too much because that's a huge part of next week's mm-hmm. yeah, for uh, sure. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they wanted non-biased sources. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a Jewish source. Mm. because this guy is upsetting the Jewish system. Mm. It can't be a Christian source, because now they're trying to promote their new religion. Right. Right? And so (laughs) does it have to be a Roman source? Yeah. Well, the Romans also talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, you're you're getting ahead to some stuff I got. (laughs) No, sure, sure. The Romans Romans talk about Jesus, Mm -hmm. but in this argument, they dismiss... Josephus, who is a Jew mm-hmm. writing for Rome, mm-hmm. uh, so there's he can't be non-biased, but they they acknowledge him as a non-biased source, mm-hmm. and what it is he has to say they dismiss because obviously it was tampered with later by Christians mm-hmm. in order to fit the narrative of the Gospels, right? right? And so, so what they're doing is they're saying this needs to exist. Mm-hmm. It's nearly impossible to create this thing, mm-hmm. yet it does actually exist. <laughs> and for that, they're going to be like, yeah. yeah, but it doesn't count because surely someone changed it mm-hmm. because it fits the narrative too much. Yeah. Or it happened. Last <laughs> one, Last one, they want contemporary writings, writings within the lifetime Yeah. as things are taking place. Mm-hmm. This is journalism. Yeah. Right? Journalism is they weren't selling newspapers right at the time right like this is just not a thing mm-hmm. and there are more writings about Jesus historically than some of the roman leaders mm-hmm. a good portion of the roman leaders mm-hmm. even various caesars yeah well alexander the great right right alexander the great you don't get anyone writing about him until decades after his death and and from a couple of people who knew him, but the best people say the best sources on Alexander are the ones from like 400 years after he lived, right? right? And yet we know Alexander to be Alexander the when we say Alexander the Great, you know exactly you know who mm-hmm. we're talking about, right? And and so like 
because of because of the wealth of evidence, well, the 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 wealth of evidence for Jesus um, is like, and the impact that he had on the world. Like the only person who impacted, who you could say confidently impacted the world more than Alexander the Great is Jesus because mm-hmm. you don't even have to put anything. You can just say Jesus and people know who you're talking about. Yeah, and, and so this is the kind of conclusions mm-hmm. that measuring these things with these modern frameworks have mm-hmm. led Dale Martin to, mm-hmm. who would call himself uh, a believer. Um, he would might call things, him not one. That's fine. <laughs> he would... It's not up to me. Uh, well, he, if he's denying the historicity of Jesus. I... I'm telling you, this or does he just is, dance around it so much? This you don't is some know of where... the thing where it's just like this spinning, right? Like oh, okay. he, he will he will acknowledge a historical Jesus, mm-hmm. but maybe different, right? Like he would say the theological. So this is where I was at at the beginning, right? The theological claims are true, even if his historical life isn't exactly what we believed it to be. Interesting. It's so it, it's, it's so weird. bizarre. It is bizarre, right? So I uh, he would say things like at one point. He says this, John is less historical than the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Okay, because they're so theological that they obviously are written to align with Christian creeds and confessions, right? Okay. In a way that that doesn't seem to be the concern of the synoptic Gospels. Okay. It's true. John is more theological it is. than the others in its approach. Right, but Jesus never considered himself to be the Christ because that's only recorded in John. Right, so hmm. although these things, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more historically credible, <laughs> okay, and that's where Jesus most arguably makes his own claim hmm. to being Christ. The fact that, uh, or. He, he, he makes allusions to it, right? right? Right. The only explicit statements are in John, but John is not historically accurate because it's so theological, and so we can discredit the whole thing, right? Like, it's just this right. weird web of yeah. choosing what you're going to take and what you're not going to mm-hmm. take. Mm-hmm. Um, it's starting with a conclusion. It is. And then and then ch- and cherry-picking evidence yeah. to make your claim, yeah. So a couple things that, that I wanted to touch on just um, before we wrap up on some of these things you talked about because there were some really cool ones. The one was the kind of the, was a cultural cohesion or what was, yep. that was Social it? coherence. Social coherence, okay. So here, here's a really cool example. This, this one kind of blew my mind. I love this. So talking about the disputes about the Sabbath, right? So the mm-hmm. discussions that Jesus has. So, so is, it, is it historically reasonable that Jesus would have argued about the Sabbath? And, and the way that he argued about the Sabbath seems odd to us, right? So in Luke 14... Um, he says to the Pharisees, if, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Right? So we're like, okay, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing to say. Like, okay, child or an ox falling into a well. Like, okay, that's fine. What's really interesting is there's a book called the Damascus Document from the Essenes who were, we talked a little bit about them when we mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they were like a hyper conservative sect. Like everyone thinks the Pharisees are the most hardcore, they're not. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Essenes saw the Pharisees as being uh, those who who only obeyed lightly and found all the loopholes, right? So the Essenes, in the Damascus document, writing about the, the observance of the Sabbath, say, 
No one should help an animal give birth on the Sabbath day. And if it falls into a well or a pit, he should not take it out on the Sabbath. Any living man who falls into a place of water or into a reservoir on the Sabbath, no one should take him out with a ladder or a rope. So the Essenes are saying their rules are like, you don't on a Sabbath, if an animal or a person falls into the water, you don't save them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talking to the Pharisees is saying like, look, you guys, I know you guys aren't those hardcore ones. Right, I know you're not the Essenes, and I'm going to reference the thing that they hold over you. Obviously, you guys are going to get the animal and the child out of the well, right? right? You're not Essenes, right? Right. And so it's just an interesting, like, it's just a really cool example of that kind of that uh, coherent social coherence that I had never even heard of before. So it's like, so so what what's happened now is once, with the discovery of the D- Dead Sea Scrolls, they're like, oh wow, that's like obviously Jesus is referring to a thing. That's going on. Like there's, it's just, it's too similar to just be made up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's just, it's just really, really interesting that way. So that was just kind of one, one example that I, I found really to be really cool. Right. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Um, but why don't, before we, we, we finish, but let's talk about, cause you, you dropped Josephus's name. Mm-hmm. We should probably talk about the non-Christian historical references to Jesus. Okay. And what they are and, and what they, what they are, what they aren't, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not. I think they're 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 probably they're. I mean, call something a silver bullet. They're, it might be that for the. I think it is that for the historical Jesus, for someone who says scripture is not the Bible is not enough for me right. to believe in a historical Jesus, right? right? I think this is enough to say yes, he did exist for sure. Not necessarily going to take you to the point of like confessing your sins before the Lord and being born again, but. Mm-hmm. So the first one is um, Tacitus. So Tacitus is the best Roman source on the early emperors of Rome. Like he just is unparalleled from the time of um, uh, Augustus up through Nero. And so some some will claim any reference to Jesus in any extra biblical um, history is a forgery that was later added. But, but in the case of Tacitus... What what Dixon says is literally no university worth its salt says is teaching that. No, some guy on YouTube might be saying that because mm-hmm. he's just like I wanted to. I can't allow for this to be true, so I'm going to dismiss it. But he's like they're not teaching that ta- that Tacitus mention of Jesus is false. Right, right. So it happens when Nero blames the burning of Rome on Christians. So there's a like someone's heard um, heard that like after Rome burns, there's a rumor that Nero burnt it on purpose to make room for a new palace. And so to scotch the rumor, Nero sub, this is from Tacitus to scotch the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty, a class of men loathed for their vices whom the crowd styled Christians. Uh, Christus, the founder of the, uh, of the name had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. And the pernicious superstition was checked for a moment only to break out once more, not merely in Judea, the home of the disease, but in the capital itself, where all things horrible or shameful in the world collect and find a vogue. And goes on and on and on, talking about all the various ways that he um, murdered Christians, including uh, using them as candles. Mm-hmm. So that comes from ta- that comes from a Roman source. That's not Christians complaining about how they're being martyred. That's a Roman just saying, and this is what Nero did. Right. And re- referencing Christ, the founder of their faith, who suffered the death penalty under the reign of Tiberius by sentence of Pontius Pilate. Right. He has no agenda. He's just talking about a thing. This is a side comment, right? Mm-hmm. So like, and there's no indication whatsoever that like this was added later on. Like this is just, this is just him recording 
history, events that happened like while he was alive. Right. And, and to be honest, if a Christian were to have tampered and added that, mm-hmm. it probably... They would have got other things right. There would have, there would have been other things added to it mm-hmm. to make it more theological and be like, and will also prove that he was the Christ. Well, because in that one, Tacitus actually misspells the name Christ. Mm-hmm. And he and he gets it. He gets, so you can tell that Tacitus is aware of Christians. Mm-hmm. He's aware of Jesus, but he uses Christ. He writes Christus, so he writes it slightly wrong because he doesn't understand that that like he doesn't get the distinction. Sure, right. So that alone is like if this if a Christian scribe was filling it in, they'd get those details right. Yep, right. They just would. Um, so the next one is Josephus, right? Who you mentioned, right? Jewish rebel leader during the the the, the um, Jewish revolt, um, but switches sides to the Romans. <laughs> he's the guy. If you we, can't beat him, join him. Yeah, so he's the guy that uh, during a a um, so all the the group that he was with who were holed up and being besieged went into a, a suicide pact where they like drew lots to see who would kill who. They wouldn't kill themselves, but they'd allow themselves to be killed by others. And lo and behold, he's the last guy standing. Mm-hmm. And then he switches over to the Roman side and ends up being one of their historians. But he uh, he writes um, a history of the Jewish people. We actually have a copy of the writings of Josephus in our church library, if anyone's mm-hmm. interested in it. Big, thick, orange, and black thing. It's long. It's big. Yeah, it's big. And a lot of it's boring, but you can find some things that are cool. Um, so here's the thing. The thing with Josephus is like, some people are like, okay, maybe when he talks about Jesus, there might be a couple phrases that he maybe maybe didn't add right so there's a phrase that he was the messiah mm-hmm. josephus wasn't a christian so he might not have written he was the messiah but he does write about this time there lived jesus a wise man um for he was one who wrought surprising feats and su- the phrase surprising feats is kind of like the equivalent of miracles and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks when Pilate upon hearing him accused by the men of the high standing amongst us had condemned him to be crucified. Those who had in the first place come to love him, did not give up their affections for him. Um, and he kind of goes on and on. Um, right. There's a bit about his, on the third day he appeared to them restored to life, which they say, Again, if Josephus believed that, he would have been a Christian, not a Jew anymore. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, but probably. Like, so I, I'm just saying, okay, so even if you take out the parts that that secular people say are added by Christians, you still have Jesus with a following, performing miracles, executed by Pontius Pilate, all of that, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then potentially, you have him even just affirming the resurrection, which, again, like... There's, I I don't know where I stand on on the that stuff. So like, so here's what I would say. If they were to be added, it would be, uh, there would be there would be more to it. It wouldn't be a passing statement, right? There would be more about uh, the people that followed him, mm-hmm. why they followed him, right? And his own glory, right? Right. right. There would be things from the gospels. Mm-hmm. Because this is after the writing of the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? And so you would have the story would have had more of uh, the details of Matthew, Mark, Luke, right. and John, yeah, uh, in it just to corroborate the Scripture itself, mm. right? That Joseph is here is saying this is the man. This is what people said of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Falls short 
of being convincing, not that he was, but of who he was. Mm. And I believe that a Christian insertion Mm -hmm. would try to prove who he was and not just that he was. Because... Oh, no, the Christian insertion, the part they think is the Christian insertion is he is the Messiah. Not that but, they called him the Messiah. But I, I'm just saying they would have gone more into it. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and, and so, there's there's something of like this, again, the modern lens, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That modern lens of requiring details mm-hmm. that just weren't kept right. at the time that mm-hmm. are are va- values for us now mm-hmm. that weren't values for them then. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I I just don't buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if... So you talk about like as an insertion, even if Josephus didn't write anything about it, mm-hmm. right? It still doesn't take away the fact that Tacitus did. No, Josephus definitely wrote about it. I know, it's I'm just, just saying like, if the entire thing was oh, an insertion. Yeah, nobody's saying that. Yeah. Like nobody, no, again, no serious, like, again, so like the debate is whether or not a couple of the phrases were original or not. Mm-hmm. But there's another section where he references Jesus where there's no debate whatsoever. And he says, and so he, Ananias the high priest, convened the judges of the Sanhedrin and brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others, and then he accused them. And it's it's the, the trial of James, uh, which we find in uh, the book of Acts, I think, or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the book of Acts, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, anyway, so, again, so we're talking about multiple references from people who did not claim to be Christians, mm-hmm. who were not followers of Christ, who had nothing to gain by by talking about this character, but but wrote about it within a relatively short period of time of when things happened, as fact, corroborating evidence that we find in, in Scripture, right? Yeah, and, and the whole point of this is to say, there is at street level a number mm-hmm. of people who would happily say, there's no historical evidence that Jesus ever existed, right? <laughs> right, which is categorically untrue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Categorically untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a relative statement; it's an objective fallacy, right? Right, and in fact, there is more written about this man born to common and humble parents. <laughs> <laughs> who did nothing for the glory of Rome. Right. <laughs> or the uprising of the Jews. Right. <laughs> then those people who did. Right. Right? And and so then you look at it and you're like, well, bias sources. What do these people have to gain? Mm-hmm. The death penalty. <laughs> exactly. That's what they gained. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, these people who, who held to it and supported it, Right in its immediacy in the first century, became candles. Yeah, yeah. under the rule of Nero. Because our bi- see, our, you reference the news networks now. Like our bias sources, and I would say bias news sources on the right and the left are both funded by multi-billion-dollar corporations. Mm-hmm. So there are vested interests in them saying certain things, not saying other things, saying things a certain way, whatever. And even if it's not financial, there are political sure. gains. There yeah. are uh, gains of ideology. Right. Right. Sure. All of these things. Right. But there's nothing really to be gained like right. ta- nothing tangible to be gained um in 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 holding to this this idea. In fact it's it's all to be lost. Exactly. Right? Which Paul, Jesus said would happen. Paul holds it to be true. Mm-hmm. And he was on his way to great power and fame. Mm-hmm. And lost it all. Mm-hmm. And with it he ends up dying at the hands of those people he would have led. Right. Right? Well, yeah. The the apostles 
all all die of martyrs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people will say not John. He is exiled in Patmos where he dies. Okay, that's kind of martyr to me. <laughs> um, but but it's a different thing for people to say. If I tell this story, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get. Versus if I tell this story, I'm gonna get it. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell the story. Right. 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 And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Is biblical evidence sound? Yes. And as a historical document, 100%. Mm-hmm. And, and, to, and to say that they're uh, too biased doesn't understand the consequences of what it meant mm-hmm. to tell the story of Jesus. Oh, for time, sure. Right? For sure. These, you might later look at the papacy and the wealth and power that it achieved. That is, an, that is not what the apostles were gaining mm-hmm. and the early Christians were gaining. Right, right. Right? That cannot be plugged in here. Yeah. Right? These these yeah. have to be seen. Maybe non-bias is, is not the right term, mm-hmm. but they're not fabricating it for personal gain. Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that can't be happening. And that's gonna and that's gonna even be a bigger deal next week with our mm-hmm. our, our discussion on the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um no, and I think I think that's true, right? And I think and here's here's the thing about this whole episode, right? Is like faith doesn't come from knowing historical facts. Okay. And and oftentimes people aren't gonna be convinced of Christianity by just learning these things on, on these things that we've discussed today. But I think it can strengthen believers' confidence in, right. in what they believe. And even from a secular perspective, and even from a secular perspective that just chooses unfairly to ignore the Bible, which they shouldn't because they're they're quality historical sources, like of un, almost unparalleled, I would say, oh, of unparalleled quality, um, even from a secular perspective. Um, Jesus is... The historical Jesus isn't just a possibility, it's a historical fact. Mm-hmm. Even if you throw out the biblical evidence, there's no there's no question of it. So don't ever let you let anyone tell you that they don't think Jesus of Nazareth actually existed. Right. He definitely did. We know that from the scriptures, and that is our primary that's where we get our primary level of trust. But even if they say, I want nothing to do with your Bible, well then you you have a list of things you can still go to and say, mm-hmm. No, yes, yes, he did. Yeah, and the only way a person can get to know he didn't exist and there's no evidence is for them to say um, what evidence there is, I choose on whatever grounds that I've established to dismiss. Right. Right? It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It means that I've chosen not to accept it. (laughs) And again, at that point, we just uh, say that is another effect of willful disbelief. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I I agree. The argument for the historical Jesus, the greatest value that it has Mm. is to give stability to a Christian who might be shaken when someone comes in and says, there is no historical reference. Right. Right? To just know there is. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's well received Mm -hmm. um, by believers and non-believers alike across academic circles. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you next time.